Brother Bob. Let's stand and take our Bibles, please. Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. While you're doing that, thank you for everyone who helped promote and invite and pray for the Easter musical and all the outreach. Thank you for bringing guests and visitors to church today. A large, large number of folks that were in church, many for the very first time, and we're looking forward to the follow-up opportunities. Hope you'll be in prayer for that. Thank you for many of you brought co-workers. I heard about co-workers or their girlfriends or their spouses getting saved or brothers getting saved or something like that, and that was just a blessing for that and uh, the powerfulness of the gospel message. You know, you can preach the gospel anywhere in the world, and it's the power of God unto salvation. Amen? And we're thankful for that. Mark chapter 15. Say amen if you're there. Say amen if you feel like you're a Baptist is very angry. You didn't get your nap time. A lot of, I'm looking around, there's a lot of angry Baptists in here. I'm telling you, brother. Brother Art, you're smiling for a change, brother. Did you have your nap or you must have slept during the musical, brother? <laughs> Got to get you guys to laugh. Amen. Mark chapter 15, verse 34. I want you to see an interesting passage of scripture today. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, would you be kind of sure your Bible with him, please? And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli... Eli, lava sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, behold, he calleth Elias. One ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, let him alone. Let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice, and he gave up the ghost. Do you notice verse 38? And the veil of the temple was rent in twain. Notice from the top to the bottom. The veil of the temple was torn in two. Behind me, I see some curtains that Brother Vaughn got up. Not close to the height of what I'm going to describe in a minute. But I want to preach your message just for a few minutes before we go to the Lord's table tonight. Entitled, When the Lord or When God Brought the Curtain Down. Bring the curtain down on something means to put a finality, a conclusion to. We want to see this evening for just a few minutes. When God brought the curtain down. Father, we're so thankful today, we're so thankful for people getting saved, folks finding the church, Lord, just how our choir and orchestra just, and and everyone who kind of worked with that in our treasure hunt teams, Lord, they they went overtime on everything they did. It was such a blessing. And thank you, Lord, for using that to introduce many people to the church, but most importantly to your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for out-of-town guests visiting this, this morning and then this afternoon who are with us today. And to thank you for the sweetness of fellowship that Brother Denny alluded to. We'll see something about that tonight. But Lord, I just pray that you get our hearts prepared and ready for the Lord's table. And just a thought that we're going to close off this Easter, Easter day with that will help us in the Lord. Now, Father, I'm cognizant that some here today have burdens that they're still going to carry home. Family burdens personal burdens. And I pray this afternoon that, God, you touch your lives. Some are struggling, Lord. They're just struggling about their relationship to you and, Lord, having access to you. Some have insecurities about their salvation. 
Lord, I just pray that, Lord, in a, in a wonderful way, you'd love us through your word and speak to our hearts. And we'll give you thanks and glory for this. I pray if someone here today is not saved before they leave the service this afternoon, that they would put their faith and trust in your son, Jesus Christ, to save them from all their sins. Thank you, Father, that you're all sufficient, that you're all loving, you're all encompassing. Thank you that you know all things that you never fail. Would you bless our time together? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We've been in these passages of Scripture here in one of the Gospels, both, I think all, actually three out of the four. And just a, one or two weeks ago, we looked at verse 34, when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And there's so many things as you, as you start from the betrayal in the garden when Judas turned Jesus in, until you, even to the end of the, when the, the resurrection, there's so many very, very important Bible truths that you don't want to miss any of these. And um, I had several things I was kind of praying over. I was looking at the, the passage, which you know, was prophesied in Psalms 22, of how they parted his garments by law. And there's just some really powerful thoughts there about, that are given. And, uh, of course, we just looked at this one in verse 34. And just I wanted to preach all seven statements that Christ made on the cross. We only got to two of them, which is fine. But tonight we want to look at verse 38. And uh, a passage we read that we stop at. I don't think it's ever been preached in this church. You may have heard a message on it. I don't think it's been preached in this church. But I, I want us to look at when the veil was torn in two. And I want us to look at it to prepare our hearts for the Lord's table because it speaks to us so wonderfully about what Christ accomplished for us and the message God was sending through that. Very quickly today because I want to get right through it so we can get the Lord's table. Number one, I want you to see the reason for the torn veil. Let's see the reason for the torn veil. Look again at verse 38. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain or in two from the top to the bottom. Now, the first thing we want to see is the reason for the veil. The first mention of this veil, you need to take your Bible and go back with me to Exodus chapter 26. In Exodus chapter 26, we have the very first mention of the veil. If you'll turn there tonight. And we see God giving a command because in this commandment given there in these portions of Scripture in Exodus, there is God's commands and instruction for the construction of the tabernacle. Now, God was serving as a general contractor for this tabernacle. This tabernacle would establish something very significant for the whole worship environment and the worship, the worshipness of the, of the, of the people of Israel. And notice in Exodus 26, I want to read these verses too, verse 31 to 35. And God told, told Moses he was going to commission someone to make this, and we read this later on in, in chapter, I think, 33 or 34. He says, And thou shalt make a veil of blue and of purple and scarlet. Now, the colors were symbolic of the glory of God and of heaven. He says, you're going to make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen of cunning work with cherubim shall it be made. And thou shalt hang it upon four pillars of shinum wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. And thou shalt hang up the veil under the sockets, uh, under the tatches, that thou mayest bring and hit thither within the veil the ark of the testimony, and the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. Now, if you've never done this, you should probably highlight or underline what we just read. Because right there in verse 33, it tells us the reason that the veil would be established in causing a separation. It would be a dividing line. 
between the holy place and the holy of holies, which is sometimes referred to as the most holy. And verse 34 says, Thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most high place, and thou shalt set the table without the veil, and a candlestick over against the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and thou shalt put the table on the north side. Now, here in the tabernacle, this was a, the tabernacle, the original tabernacle was done, was a tent. It was a very large tent. And in this tent would be the worship of God. There'd be the holy place where the priest would go and there'd be a laver, of course, and all that in front of there. And he would wash himself there and there'd be an altar there that he would burn incense and offer sacrifices. But then he would approach this veil. And this veil separated the holy place, which only the priest could go into, from the most holy place, or the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies was where the priest, what the high priest alone could go. Remember this now. Only the high priest could go through that veil into the most holy place. And there in the most holy place is where the blood of atonement would be applied once a year for the sins of all the nations. You've heard me say this before. When Adam was made... And Adam had sinned afterwards. God had prescribed that there had to be a sacrifice. In the beginning, one sacrifice for every man. We see Adam sacrificing for himself. We see his sons it's supposed to be sacrificing. So Abel did so, Cain did not. And then we read later on, we read here where there's going to be, God, God gets, we go to the Exodus chapter 12, and there would be, there would be a sacrifice, a lamb sacrifice for every household. So we go from every man for every household. Now we're getting over to the tabernacle. It would be for the entire nation. And so this tabernacle would be was temporary because wherever they went, they would establish this tabernacle. And we don't have time to get into all the details of it. But behind that veil was, I would say, I'll put it this way, contents or furniture that symbolically spoke about Jesus Christ, about man and salvation. And inside there, that place would be what was known as the Ark of the Covenant, this ark inside of there were contents that were very revered. There would be a pot that contained the manna that God fed Israel with for 40 years. As they collected it by the command of God and put it inside of there. The manna spoke about the bread from heaven. And symbolically looked forward to Jesus Christ who is the bread of life. Praise God for that. Amen. And uh, so we had the manna there. And then you would have inside there, you'd have the two tablets where the Ten Commandments were written on stone. And those Ten Commandments or those two tablets were placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. Those two covenants, those two tablets which contained the Ten Commandments spoke of the law. It spoke of how all men, the law points all men guilty of sin. It points to the fact that we're guilty under the law. The law reveals who we are and that we're guilty under sin. Then inside there, there was a rod. It was called Aaron's rod that budded. We read about that later on. I think in number 16 or not, number 17, I believe it is. And Aaron's rod that budded, if you remember, the rod was a branch severed from a tree. It was, it was shaved and fashioned, but it was dead. And the test of the prophet, true prophets of God, was with that, that, that rod. And uh, Aaron's rod budded, whereas the false prophets, their rods did not budded. It gave demonstration that God gave life to something that was dead. And you might always remember this, Aaron's rod that budded is a picture of the resurrection. And so we have the law, which speaks about our sin. We have the manna, which speaks about the bread of life, Jesus Christ. We have Aaron's rod that budded. Overshadowing this Ark of the Covenant was a golden, was a golden piece of furniture, you might say. that was called the mercy seat. It, over, it covered it. 
Looking over the mercy seat on both sides, on the right and left, were two cherubims made of gold that overlooked that. We're giving witness to the, or giving indication, testimony of the witness of God in this matter. And once a year, the high priest would go in with a basin of blood, hyssop in his hand, and would go in there to dip the hyssop inside the blood, and, and then he would sprinkle it upon the mercy seat. You see, God has to serve justice for the sins of every man and every woman and every child. Our sins have to be paid for. We have to deal with the fact there's consequence to sin. And once a year, the high priest alone would be allowed to go in there. And the high priest would sprinkle that blood, which gave evidence of a blood atonement. (coughs) Through this blood atonement, that the sins of the entire nation, every person that was an Israelite, was covered there. There, where justice should have been served, God exercised mercy. Aren't you glad for God's mercies today? Amen. His mercy exercised on us and the blood that was sprinkled on evidence that God covered their sins. But every year, the priest, the high priest would have to go in there to do this. So it was a temporary relief for one year at a time. And so we look at this and it's an interesting thing that we see this, this, this great, great, this great, great, um, this great event that happened behind the, behind the veil. Now go back to the veil with me for a minute. The veil itself, you want to write this down, the veil itself we read 1 Kings 6.2, and then we read later on in the, the historian Josephus. 1 Kings 6.2 indicates to us that the veil was 45 feet tall in length. And uh, we know from reading through Josephus and things like that, it was 30 feet in width, but in thickness it was 4 inches thick. Now that's pretty thick, amen? About that thick, it's 4 inches thick. 45 feet lengthwise in height, 30 feet across in width, Four inches thick in depth. Later, when the Israelites got settled in the promised land, after David had raised up the money, and David commissioned Solomon through God's command that Solomon would build the temple, Solomon built that magnificent temple, and they they would replicate everything that was done inside the tabernacle. Except this would be a permanent place where God would be worshipped. You've got to remember everything about this tent and about the tabernacle. Now the temple was, was just more than ceremonial because it, it brought, it brought the, the people of Israel in closeness to God. But you have to remember this, that only the high priest could go behind that veil. And so now we get to Solomon's temple. And that veil still was four inches thick. It was still 30, 30, 30 feet wide, but in height, it was 60 feet in height. It was 15 feet higher than the original one that was inside the tabernacle. So if you can imagine with me today, that was a very, very tall veil that reached up to 60 feet. Many years later, of course, Solomon's temple would be burned by the Babylonians at, before, at the start of the Babylonian captivity. And years later, another temple would be built. And then years after that, we find that we have what's called Herod's temple where they worship. You'll find that in the New Testament there. That in Herod's temple, he replicated everything that was in Solomon's original temple, and which included a veil that was 60 feet in height. And that was a tall veil. If you just go from floor to here, I mean, it was pretty high there, four inches thick. And you look at the colors and the workmanship that went behind it. It was an incredible piece of furniture that was there or, or that, that covered that whole place. And so we must remember that only the high priest could go behind that veil and every other person, they were scared to do so. Now we see the reason, notice number two very quickly, notice the restriction. Only the high priest could go into As far as every other priest, as far as every other Israelite, that veil meant do not enter. Do not enter. Restricted entry. You could not go there. I'll just say this to you today. It was a little alarming. We were we were doing the treasure hunt at the facility we were at, and we noticed that the restrooms were not marked 
gender specific, male and female. They were gender neutral. You might pray about that here in the city of San Leandro. Elementary school. And that became, you know, you think about it, it's a little bothersome by that, but once we put the signs up, it restricted who could go to which room. Amen? Proper thing. Now watch this. That veil being established restricted who could go back there. If anyone other than the high priest, and the high priest could only go in there at certain times. If anyone other than the high priest went inside there, if the high priest went inside there other than when he was supposed to, he could be struck dead by God. That's how serious this was. Because inside that, behind that veil, would be done the work of, of a redemption, the work of atonement for every person there. That veil restricted anyone from seeing the Ark of the Covenant or from entering into the presence of God. That veil represented, you want to write this down, that veil represented the sinfulness of every man and every man's inability to approach God on his own terms. It represented the sinfulness of every man and every man's inability to approach God on his own terms. When that high priest went behind that veil, the blood sacrifices that were made were only temporary nature, but they were necessary and had to be repeated over and over again in order to satisfy God's justice on sin. It meant that this, when we had the veil, it meant this, that the sacrificial system needed a perfect lamb. Every lamb that would be offered every year for those many years was, was an acceptable sacrifice, but not a perfect sacrifice because it would have to be offered every year. On top of that, the high priest, when he made this sacrifice, he not only was doing it for the people, he was doing it for himself as well because the high priest himself was a sinner. We read about that in Hebrews chapter 5. And of course, we know that from the Old Testament passages there. And so we recognize there's restrictions there. There's the restriction only the high priest could go in there at certain times. And we see the other restriction that every year they would have to come in with a lamb. But it pointed forward, looked forward to the day when the Lamb of God for sinners slain would come and give his life as a ransom for all. And once he would die for sins, no more would another sacrifice have to be made. Now we see a third thing. We see the reason for the veil. We see the we see the we see the restriction veil. Would you notice our passage tonight? Would you notice the rending of the veil? In verses thirty-four to thirty-nine, we have the account there of our Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And each of the gospel narratives, as you bring them all together, it's very dramatic. I said this this morning. There's no video. There's no oral representation. There's no way any of us could give accuracy and justice to the incredible viciousness of that moment, the brutality of the moment that our Lord Jesus Christ went through. But as we look at here, verse 34, Christ cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me at the, at the, at the sixth hour? The ninth hour comes, darkness is over all the land. Jesus has expressed his feeling of desertion and abandonment by God the Father. He's feeling his life ebb out of him. He's feeling this, what I call this hydrofolemia, where basically because of dehydration and loss of body fluids, his blood is clotting up. And because it's clotting up, his heart, it's also more difficult for his heart to beat and give blood to all his vital organs. He's experiencing organ failure, all of these things. His lungs are filling up in his chest cavity. His lungs are filling up with, with fluid because of the pressure of being exerted from being on the cross. And Jesus cries out there in verse 37 with a loud voice and gives up the ghost. And we know that the two last statements, 
David Simeon on the cross were done at that time. And the statement number six is, I, it is finished. No, statement number seven, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And the Bible says he gave up the ghost. And we read over in Matthew, Matthew says that, the, that, a, that a centurion was standing by and he said, truly this must be the Son of God. And Matthew fills in some blanks that Mark doesn't. But we read here that when Jesus cried out, it is finished. And Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. When at that time that happened, a great earthquake went through Jerusalem. And something that no one expected happened, we see a rending of the, of the veil. Now, nobody expected this to happen. But if you can imagine being inside the temple at the time as this earthquake is gone, there's this loud rip. Now, I don't know if you ever had a loud rip, but I'll give you an example. I remember uh, it being in eighth grade, and I uh, was in school, and we'd play basketball every morning, uh, the guys and I, and we couldn't get hold of basketball. So I used to bring a little tennis ball, and we'd play basketball with a little tennis ball. I'd never done that. It was kind of amazing. We, we played it, but we got ten guys on a court at 7.30 in the morning, at 10, 7th, and 8th graders, we'd play basketball. And I remember one particular day, I was chasing after the little ball. I, w- I was going to go over and take a shot and as i bent over to do so i heard this loud rip in my trousers and behind and it was a it was a it was a it was i was just put it was a very ungodly sound it meant you know and it just rip and i thought it's eight o'clock and i don't have another set of pants what am i going to do right and uh, thank god somebody has some pants there that fit me and i wore that for the rest of the day i was glad to get out of it because they didn't feel right but anyway but you know if you've ever heard a sound of something ripping it's a very loud noise if you've ever ripped something after there's a loud rending noise now i want you to imagine with me this 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 temple veil from top to bottom four inches thick this loud tearing noise that everyone can hear. A loud tearing noise. Jesus has just cried out, it is finished. And there's this loud tear of this, of this, 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 this veil from top to bottom, 60 feet tall in length. This tearing of it. The Bible describes it this way. And the veil of the temple was ran in twain from the top to the bottom. No human hands touched it. It was the power of God that did it. Amen. God did it. It wasn't from bottom to top. It was top to bottom. It was God who ripped that. No human hands did that. There was no human intervention. It was all of God. The hand of God touched it and ripped it. It was in, a, in an inescapable sound and sight. God supernaturally ripped that, t- that veil in two. And when that did, when God did that, God was telling them, reinforcing the words of our Lord Jesus Christ when he said it is finished. He was reinforcing that all of God's justice and demands for sin was paid in full through Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Amen. It was paid in full. It was paid at, totally by him. God's demand for sin sin were completed and the rending of the veil was a wonderful thing because the rending of the veil meant no longer would man be restricted access to God the rending of the veil meant that a greater high priest had come a greater high priest had given his life he who was without sin gave his life for all of us the prior high priest had to go in every year to offer sacrifice for sin for himself and the people but our great high priest Jesus Christ went in once by giving his life and once and for all he made a sacrifice for sins and the veil of the temple, if you would, is described in Hebrews, of his flesh was torn in two. And it meant basically the barrier between God and man was removed. God removed the barrier. God made possible access to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. First John 2, 2 is the verse that goes so well with that. Because in First John 2, 2, it says, He is the propitiation for our sins. Not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation is a word that scares us a little bit there. And so there was a turn of time when people got scared of that. And they decided to take that word out of the Bible. Let me tell you, that's a good word. Don't take it out of the Bible. Amen. 
Propitiation is a term that basically means God looks at you and me and he says the sin debt we owe is paid for in full. It's atoned for. There's no other sin necessary uh, uh, atonement needed or sacrifice needed. And he's the propitiation for our sins. There's nothing we can do for our sins. And so God's demand for sin was completed in full. The sin debt was paid in full. The mercy of God met the justice of God and the mercy of God prevailed. Amen. And so on it says here, the curtain, the curtain was rent in two. But the curtain came down. God brought down the curtain. The curtain came down for every sinner. That meant for every sinner, our sin was paid in full. The curtain came down on the sin debt for every sinner. The curtain came down on the old covenant, which required the high priest to enter into every year with the blood atonement. No longer were the blood of bulls and goats necessary. Praise God, there's the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that was offered. The curtain came down on Old Testament ceremonies, Old Testament sacrifices. It came down upon good works. It came upon man's necessity of doing his thing. No longer was an animal required. The Lamb of God for sinners slain gave his life, and God's demands for sins were met in two, were, were taken care of. It was torn from top to bottom, not bottom to top. Men could not dare to touch it. Men could not dare to go through there. No longer did we require at that moment on a high priest to represent us. Our high priest, Jesus Christ, represents us. And praise God today as we think about that we close tonight. Would you notice we see the rending, but we see the removal. When Jesus tore when God tore that, temp, that, that veil in two, it removed the barrier between God and man. Man now had access directly to God through Jesus Christ. Man no longer needed a high priest. Jesus, after 40 days, ascended to heaven. And he ascended to heaven and is doing the work as our great high priest. And if you read Hebrews carefully, Jesus is always called our great high priest. No other high priest was called great. Thank God we only have one great high priest. Amen. And that's Jesus Christ. He was our great high priest who died on the cross. But in heaven, he sits on the right hand of God. And we read Hebrews 7. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. He's holy, harmless, separate from sinners. Christ represents us. Now go with me to Hebrews 10 tonight. And notice, if you went to Hebrews 10, how Jesus Christ made a better way for every one of us today. And you can be thankful for what Jesus did for you and me today. Jesus made a better way. When the veil was rent in two, no longer was there a barrier to keep us from the presence of God. His shed blood now paved a perfect way so every person here can be in God's presence. Hey, you don't have to go through a priest. You are a priest in Jesus Christ. Amen? You don't have to go through a high priest because your high priest is in heaven praying for you. Hey, by the way, aren't you glad today that Jesus prayed for you? Long before you got up this morning, he prayed for you. By the way, aren't you glad he's praying for you right now? Amen? He's praying you stay awake right now. That's what he's praying for right now. Amen? He's praying for us. And notice Hebrews chapter 10. I want to just give you commentary on these verses. We're done. Notice, first of all, actually go back to verse 10 with me. Uh, verse 9, he then said, He, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, so he may establish the second. Now, what is he talking about there? The first was the old covenant. The old covenant of sacrifices that the Jews had to perform. The second is what Jesus did for us once and for all. Look at verse 10. Wonderful verse. We have a song that we sing that goes with us once for all. It says this. By the which will we are sanctified or set apart forever through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus Christ gave his body. That's why... 
That's why we reinforce in Romans 12, 2, the importance of every Christian off giving, uh, giving their body as a living sacrifice to God and representing that you're giving yourself to God to use you forever would please Him for the will of God. The first part, the first step in the will of God for you to know God's will and to do God's will is to give your body as a living sacrifice. And Jesus gave Himself as a sacrifice for us in verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Hey, you don't need to go through repeat ceremonies. You don't have to go through repeat sacrifices. Sacrifices. Brother Long brought a man to introduce me to a man today. I think his name was Gerald, who trusted Christ during the service this morning. And, uh, and it was so exciting because God goes so well with the service here today. But uh, Brother Long introduced him to me. And he, and, he, and he said, he told the man, he said, Sir, you don't have to pray again. You've, you, the most important prayer you prayed, just prayed this morning. And he said, you know, I learned something today, preacher. He said, I don't have to pray that prayer anymore. It's once and for all. I said, that's exactly right. Because Jesus Christ died once and for all for you. That's a great thing. Amen. And so we go over here now. You go down a little bit. Notice verse 17. And the Bible says, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. What a wonderful thing when Christ accomplished God's, God's work on the cross, when the temple was rent and when the veil was rent in two, he said this, their sins and iniquities I'll remember no more. Now, you might remember those sins, but I'm going to tell you some good news. God doesn't remember those sins. Amen. He's forgotten them. He said, their sins and iniquities I'll remember no more. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far God forgives us our sins. How far is that? East and west never meet. It just keeps going, going, never meets. God forgives us forever and forever and forever. Your sins are paid for and full. They're under the blood of Jesus Christ. Your sins past, present, and future have been paid for in full. Praise God for that. And so we look at verse 17. It says, their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Verse 18. Now where remission of these is, there's no more offering for sin. So he's saying here, here's a wonderful thing, Jew. Here's a wonderful thing, Gentile. There was a remission for sin. What was that? He speaks about that in Hebrews 9. That remission was the shedding of blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. There's no covering. There's no forgiveness. There's no payment debt without the shedding of blood. So he says, if there, he says in verse 18 here, notice where the remission of sins is. There's no more offering for sin. You know what he's saying there? Jesus doesn't have to die again and again and again. I'm glad I'm not part of religion. I'm glad I've got a relationship. Amen. I'm glad I've been regenerated. Amen. That's that's probably a more important word than religion. The more important word is being regenerated. You're born again. Praise God for that. Amen. And then he said in verse 19, now watch verse 19. It's so wonderful. If you if you have the book, you need to read this. If you don't, you need to get the book. You need to get R.A. Torrey's book, uh, The Power of Prayer. How many have that book, The Power of Prayer? Not, not, not How to Pray, but The Power of Prayer. They're two different books. His first book was How to Pray. His second was The Power of Prayer. That changed my life when I was a 12th grader. Brother A.D., you ought to have the young people read that. And Tory gives an entire chapter speaking about verse 19. Look at verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter to the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now watch this. In the mind of the Jew, the holiest, as that, as that, as that veil was rent in two, in the mind of the Jew, it was forbidden. Do not enter. Do not enter. Restricted entry. You didn't go past that veil. I mean, you, you weren't, I mean, you, if you knew your Old Testament, you remember the day they put the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant on a new cart. Remember that? Remember the brother that touched and he died because, and the one of them was curious to look inside. Listen, that was, they, they knew that was dangerous stuff. You didn't do that kind of thing. And so these Jews are apprehensive. They're scared. They're just thinking, well, what does this all mean? And so Paul had to write to these Jews who were somewhat steeped in superstition. And he told them in verse 19, listen, brethren, we have boldness. 
The rendering of the veil temple gives you and I boldness to enter to the presence of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Hey, the blood of Christ is important because it gives us entrance into the presence of God. It gives us boldness. Why? Because the powers of hell don't want you to go past that veil. And the powers of hell want you to be outside that veil. And the powers of hell don't want you to experience the presence of God. But bless God, when the veil was torn in two, rip when it came in two. Listen, it opened up an entry, an opportunity for every blood-bought child of God. They could enter to the presence of God today. And so notice verse 19, we can enter to the holiest. Now that was restricted to the great high priest. Now he opened his up for everybody there. And he said in verse 20, by a new and a living way. I like that. Which is consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. That veil was symbolic of the flesh or the body of Christ that he offered for our sins. When Christ said it's finished, right at that time, the veil of the temple is rent in two from top to bottom. The power of God did that. And when God's power rent that veil in two, invisibly the hand of God ripped it in two with no problem. He opened a way, a new and living way, by which through the blood of Jesus Christ, you and I can enter to this presence. Now what is that? That's what gives you power in prayer. That's what gives you privilege in prayer. That's what gives you entry into the presence of God. Many times we rush into the presence of God. And many times we rush the very presence of God. Listen, God's presence is such it is not to be rushed. And we should not rush our presence of God. We must meditate. And before we even utter a breath, like many men of old, as many great prayers of old would do, many of them would just wait and meditate. And as they were getting themselves ready, they would do some of this. They would enter to God's presence. You would know when you prayed with a J. Wilbur Chapman, or you prayed with a Praying High, or you prayed with a Robert Murray McShane, or you prayed with a John R. Rice. You would know that you were entered into the presence of God. How do you know? Because the blood of Jesus Christ, that holy shed blood, provided and made a better way. And by the way, if you keep your finger there, I want you to go with me to Hebrews 12. And watch go with me to Hebrews 12, because in Hebrews 12, sometimes we forget who and what is in heaven. And I want you to notice in Hebrews 12, just a side thought real quickly, Hebrews 12, verse 22, go over a couple chapters there. And he says in verse 22, but you are coming to Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, that's, that's heaven. He says, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. And notice verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, that's who we just read about, notice this, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So what happened to the blood? The blood's in heaven. The blood's in heaven, I said. The blood's in heaven, Amen. It speaketh better things to the blood of the everlasting. Don't let some old Protestant or somebody that's a non-Baptist tell you the blood has gone away. The blood has not gone away. It's in heaven. If we go over to verse 24, look at verse 24 there. He says, and to Jesus, the mediator, and he speaks of, Paul speaks of being the mediator between God and man, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things. Now, how did the high priest apply it on the mercy seat? He sprinkled it. What was the mercy seat? The mercy seat was Jesus' blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat for you and I so that we could have forgiveness of our sins, that our sins could be paid for in full. And now we go back to chapter 10. <coughs> He's made a way through us there. And notice verse 21, and having a high priest over the house of God. Now, what's the house of God? Where we're at right now, the church of the living God. Amen. 
He's over our, 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 the house of God. And I just want you to know today, Jesus Christ is the chief pastor and bishop of our souls. Amen. He's the high priest over us. He's the high priest over the house of God. Don't you come to church irreverently. Don't you come to church flippantly. And don't you come to church thinking it should be a contemporary type of church. No, it, means, it needs to be a consecrated church. Amen. After we come to the house of the living God, he's the high priest over that. And it gives us a sense of worship. Now we've entered to the presence of God. We've entered to the presence of God through prayer. But now we can enter to the presence of God publicly when we come together for corporate worship. And what you notice, verse 22, the encouragement he gives us, let us, that means all of us, let us draw near. God doesn't want you at a distance. God wants you near, amen? Come near. Let us draw near with a true heart. Hey, time to put aside the facades, amen? Time to put aside the hypocrisy, amen? Time to put aside the playing around. Time to put aside the games and charades and all that. He says, let us draw near. Put it aside and draw near to God with a true heart. God wants us to draw near with sincerity and transparency. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. How do we get that full assurance of faith? Go back to verse 19. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. By a new and living way, we're able to enter with boldness into the holiest of places. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now what does that mean? Does it mean water baptism saves me? No. He's using something the Jews that he's writing to understand. The, high, the priests, before they did service, including the high priest, they would stop at this laver. This laver was filled with water. There the priest would wash his hands and wash feet. Did you know something? You need to serve God with clean hands and clean feet. You need to clean God with a clean, serve God with a clean life. You need to live your life a clean life. He says, put away an evil conscience. He said, put away those ways. And we need to approach God with our bodies washed with pure water. And it says, we need to be cleansed. Hey, it takes us back to the night in John chapter 13 of the washing of the disciples' feet. Jesus said, if you don't let me wash you, you have no part in me. And what he was saying there, if you don't let me cleanse you repeatedly from your repeated sins, that means this, our sins are forgiven and washed away, but we still sin. So we have to realize we have to keep coming to God, just like I get my hands dirty, you get your hands dirty, you got to go again and wash your hands. We come to God for cleansing. That's why he gave us 1 John 1, 9. And so he said, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hey, thank God, God enables us to enter to his presence. How do we draw near to God? Sometimes, you know, we're living, perhaps we've had a tough time and we're struggling in our Christian life. And maybe for some, like, like someone, was in, someone was telling me this week, they were just struggling and their, their Bible reading wasn't where it needed to be. And they felt like they just were their prayers were bouncing off the ceiling and they felt like they were just having a tough tough time and i'm reminded of this verse of scripture that god knows we have those tough times but he tells us to draw near with a true heart and he comes to cleanse us and wash us because god wants us to draw near don't be at a distance from god come close to god but listen that doesn't just apply to the private time you have with god that means when we come to church church should be a drawing near experience amen you draw near to God. You come close to the Lord because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now you say, how does that all come together? Well, he's speaking now of corporate worship. Let's get to verses 23, 24, 25. He tells us to come and get our hearts cleansed and watch. And then he says, let us hold fast to profession our faith without wavering. Now some were wavering. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man wavers between faith and no faith. And he says, let us, he says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he's faithful that promise. He's saying, you can hold fast because of what God has done for you. And then he said in verse 24, 25, this is why we come to church. This is what church is for. Church is not just for you and me personally. It's for everybody. And church is for the purpose, I come to church, not what I can get out of church. I come to church for what I can give back to the church. Different attitude, right? 
Different attitude. You come through the doors, you come to the parking lot, leave the selfishness outside, come with a heart ready to serve. And so he says, notice in verse 24, let us hold the professional. He says, and let us consider one another. The first thing we're supposed to do when we come to church is think about one another and to provoke or to stimulate or to stir to love and to good works. Hey, tonight, the whole essence of this service is to provoke and to stimulate all of us to love and to good works. Hey, how many just thankful today for all that God did? You love Jesus a little bit more. Amen. You want to do a little bit more for Christ. How many want to do another Easter service real quickly here? Amen? I mean, just... Now, some of you look tired. So, no, Pastor, no. how about next year? We'll do it next year, there, you know. But you know what I'm saying there. He's just saying right here, he's saying, let us provoke to love and to good works. Hey, you know what all, all, what all this should have said? said, you know what? There's some people that I didn't invite to Easter, but I can invite them to church next Sunday. Amen? And there's some people that I didn't invite that couldn't come, but I've got another service. And I told everybody I met, I said, I just want you to know, Every Sunday is Easter Sunday at Heritage Baptist Church. And when Christmas comes, every Sunday is a Christmas Sunday at Heritage Baptist Church. Amen. We just love to have the opportunity to minister to people and to provoke to love and to stir to good works. And whether it's one person or a hundred people, it doesn't matter. We're here to stir one another. So we come to church with a selfless attitude to stimulate one another. But I like verse 25. This is why we have this. This is the removal. These believers Paul is writing to in Hebrews, some are struggling about coming to church. Some experience what a lot of Christians go through. They just weren't in church. And they got used to not being in church, but honest, the truth of the matter is they just felt ashamed of themselves. They thought, oh, if I go back, people are going to wonder what happened. And, 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 you know, and God knows that. The devil puts that in our minds. The devil says, ah, people are going to look at you funny. People are going to do funny with you. Let me tell you from your pastor's heart, nobody's going to look funny. We're, we're, I'm thankful every person who comes back to church. Amen. I saw some people that got saved in our church and haven't been here for a long time. They were here this morning. I didn't recognize them, to be honest with you. They got a little bit older, and they recognized me, but I couldn't recognize them. But I was thankful to see them. And I, I said, I'm so good to see you. I hope you'll come back. I want you back in church. But notice verse 25. Now, forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Now, others might forsake the assembling of together, but we should not. But exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. What's he saying there as we close? We should look forward to coming to church. Amen? We should look forward to the assembling of together of ourselves. And so much to more. As we know the day of Jesus Christ is coming. A lot of us would have trouble being in the first century church because they had church every day. Amen? Daily in the temple and from every house. They ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And they had basically 12 apostles that were pretty much serving twenty-five to 50,000 people. The commentators are right about the, the, the size of the church when you get to Numbers chapter, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 6 there. And all I'm saying today is we look at uh, Hebrews 10.25. What a wonderful encouragement it is that we can exhort one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. God brought down the curtain on sin, death, and Satan. God brought down the curtain on ceremonial laws and rituals that have no power to save and satisfy God's demands for sin. God brought down the curtain that restricted men from coming to God. May I say to you as we get ready for the Lord's table, we're doing really good time. You have unrestricted access to the Lord. We have boldness to enter through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank God for the efficacious blood that works and that protects and that covers and that cleanses and works on our behalf. Listen, when you feel you are in a spiritual battle and the forces of hell are working hard against you, claim Hebrews 10:19. Lord, 
Cover me with the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, give me boldness to enter to your presence. And you watch the difference that moment you claim the blood over you. You watch the difference in your praying and the difference in, in how you approach God and how God works with you. Listen, everything that consummated were answers and answers and answers to prayer. Many of you prayed for someone to come. They came and they got saved or they're interested in coming back. I mean, we should just go on and on and on for all the things that have happened over the last week here, especially the last 72 hours. Praise God today, the temple that the, 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 the temple veil was torn in two from top to bottom. God was the one that did it. God did away with all of those things that prohibited man from coming to God. And thank God tonight we can enter his presence. In a few minutes, we're going to enter God's presence through the laking of the Lord's table. And we're going to reenact in our mind and our heart Jesus dying on the cross and shedding his blood for your sins and mine. Let's be thankful tonight that Jesus gave himself for us. Let's be thankful for Hebrews 10.10. By the which will... Christ offered himself once and for all, his body for the sacrifice of sins. Are you saved tonight? If you died today, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? If you were in Colombo, Sri Lanka, 24 hours ago, and had been near those bombings, and lost your life, would you have gone to heaven? And I urge you today, get saved today. I said, I said this this morning, I'll say again for some of you who weren't here. Our good missionary friend, Pastor Terry Unruh, has a church in Colombo. His church is in the other two cities where the bombings occurred. Three bombings. One of his members had two employees that were unaccounted for. Those two employees were in a service just a month before. Pastor Unruh preached the gospel and pleaded with them to get saved. He went out of his way after the service to put his arm around them and talk to them about getting saved. And the way he pictured it to me, he said they politely but firmly declined. They told that man who was their employer, we're not coming to church today. We know it's your Easter service. We're going over to one of the hotels to have a big Easter brunch because we want to celebrate over there. And the apostles are going there for the Easter brunch. Both men perished, as far as we know, may have left this life and are spending eternity in hell because they never took time to think about receiving Jesus Christ as Savior. Don't put it off another day. Don't say like Herod Agrippa, almost thou persuadest me. Don't put it off. Know Jesus today. In a moment, I'm going to show you how you can be saved and how Jesus Christ can come into your heart by faith and take away your sins. Christian friend, don't be on the outside looking in. Draw near to him with a true heart. Let's get our hearts right as we prepare for the Lord's table. Let's have a heart of sincerity. Draw near to God. Don't be far from God. Draw near to the Lord. May the Lord's table be one of those avenues of opportunities for us to draw near to him. Father, we thank you today for saving us. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful, wonderful story here that's given this account of the torn veil. Thank God it was torn in two and represented God's testimony. Lord, validating the words of our Lord Jesus Christ that the curtain came down on sin, death, and the devil. The curtain came down, Lord, on on Old Testament sacrifices. And Christ made a new and living way for every sinner. Maybe here today, you're here today, you're not saved. You're not 100% sure you're going to heaven. Can I help you tonight? If you're not sure you're saved and going to heaven, why don't you decide today to be born into God's family? If right now you'd pray and take Jesus Christ as your Savior, you repent of your sins, and by faith call on Christ to save you, heaven can be your home. You can make that sure and real today. Here's what I'm going to do. If in your heart of hearts, if God spoke to you today, and I pray He did, that you need to get saved, that you want to be 100% sure you're going to heaven, you can pray a prayer with me, but these must be your words, and you must be sincere and real, not just repeating after me. You must be very sincere and real in your heart and asking Christ to forgive your sins. Here's what you can pray. You can pray something like this. 
Dear God, I confess today I'm a sinner who needs to be saved. I repent of all my sins and believe with all my heart that your Son, Jesus Christ, died for my sins. I take Jesus right now into my heart to be my Savior and my God. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you for saving me from all my sins. In Jesus' name. Now, could you do me a favor? If you prayed that prayer, you prayed with me, met in all your heart by calling on Jesus to save you. Would you do me the honor of raising your right hand so I know who you are? I'm not going to call you out by name or anything like that. I'd like to see who you are to know that you call on Jesus. Anyone like that, you'd say, Pastor, I want you to know I called on Jesus to save me today. Anyone like that? Is there a man or one boy or girl, you'd say, Pastor Fawn, which want you to know I called on Jesus to save me today. Anybody like that? Well, Father, we're getting ready for the Lord's table. Thank you for your people assembled here. Lord, I pray for a heart of thankfulness because of the torn veil and what it represents. In a moment, Lord, as we take the Lord's table, would you help us, Lord, to come reverently and solemnly and, Lord, with holiness in our hearts for the glory of God. Bless thee, we pray, this invitation time. Perhaps we need to use this time to draw near to you. And pray that you use it for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand. We're going to play through a couple stanzas of, that, of, take my, of, of, the, of the invitational. If you need to draw near to God, can I invite you this evening, this afternoon, draw near to God? How about come and give God the glory for what he's done in your life? You, you have people that you know God saved. Why don't you take a moment to come and thank the Lord for that? I invite you to come. You feel like you've been far away from God? How about draw near to the Lord this afternoon? Draw near to God with a true heart. Have your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. Would you come? Several have come. Would you call near to the Lord? Let's get our hearts ready. As we get ready to take the Lord's table, we need to come and confess our sins and get our hearts right so we don't take the, 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 the bread and, and the grape juice unworthily. We want to take it right before God. Would you come today? Play another stanza. If you're sure you're not saved and you want to get saved, meet me here at the front. We'll have somebody show you how you can be saved today. Still time. We want to need to draw near to God. You draw near to the Lord right now. Would you do that? Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you so much for loving us. And we love you because you first loved us. Thank you for your love, which is beyond description, beyond comprehension, that you love sinners like us, that Christ died for us. And Lord, as we get ready for the Lord's table, prepare our hearts, draw us near to you with a true and sincere heart. Father, help us to examine our conscience and our hearts carefully that we approach the Lord's table with a clear conscience, a purified heart, and a right spirit. Father, thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you for the privilege of taking the Lord's table as God's family. Bless our time together, we pray. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.